Okay, this is Randy with another question from Chris. And uh, this one is uh, kind of interesting and not a, not a, it's a rather unusual question, but as usual, even the, the most seemingly odd questions really cut to the heart of the matter in many ways. So this question is dealing with uh, a Japanese delicacy called fugu. I guess if I'm pronouncing it correctly, I, I don't know anything. I didn't know the word until I saw the question and looked it up. So that's the the famous or infamous Japanese puffer fish that is uh, apparently a delicacy, and um, the reason it's infamous is because it's also highly toxic. Uh, people have died uh, from eating it if it's not uh, prepared very carefully to remove the the toxins. So Chris's question was, um, if Japanese Zen would partake in this food as a delicacy? That was the question. So there are several perspectives from which to look at this question. And as a quick overview, we could look at it from the perspective of the uh, precept to not kill, which is what leads to um, the uh, preponderance of vegetarianism among Buddhists that uh, to eat meat and this is a fish it's a it's a uh, wouldn't make a distinction I think between fish and meat here that's a, it's a living being it has a face so um, the injunction to not kill would lead many many to not eat it um, uh, more we could look at it a little bit more generally than that in terms of your impact on others in terms of the resources you're consuming. And we'll go into that a little bit more. We could look at it from the perspective of not being attached to your preferences. Don't be choosy. Um, and then look at it uh, kind of from an overall compassion perspective. So to go back to the first point, uh, to look at the an injunction against eating meat based on the precept do not kill and therefore vegetarianism well this is a, a huge topic that can be pretty much guaranteed to incite heated debate uh, in, in many circles um, there are many very clear uh, indications in the sutras and the Buddhist tradition and the history um, that one, uh, you know, a very devout, so to speak, Buddhist uh, should be a vegetarian. Um, which, of course, that makes sense, especially in the ancient days where you were much more directly involved in the food chain, and if you ate meat, it was very likely killed for you, or your consumption of meat had a very direct impact on whether or not an animal was killed. Um, some people make this the distinction that in today's world whether or not you know with with populations of millions and an industrialized food production that um, if you go and uh, purchase meat at the supermarket or not it doesn't really have an impact on whether or not a particular animal was killed whether one animal more or less was killed Sorry, I was just closing the door for noise control. Um, 
and I don't want to really get into those types of distinctions and arguments. Um, there are also injunctions about not refusing what is given. Um, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. There are even some sutras that, again, depending on who you ask, indicated that the Buddha ate meat, that perhaps he died from eating uh, bad pork. And then there are others who very vehemently state that it was bad mushrooms. And the question is, well, there are sutras and translations going either way. Was one of them practicing revisionist history? Um, again, that, that's a huge debate for another topic, another time. And I think in some ways that kind of misses the point as we go further along. Because I look at it not only in terms of compassion for the living beings that would be killed in consumption of, of meat or fish, but also consumption of, of resources and impacts on other living beings in that way. If you eat beef instead of grain, and I don't know the numbers, but if you look at the amount of grain that is used to feed the cow and the number of the amount of water that is used to water the cow and the fuel costs that are used to transport it and all that. If you look at the the ratio of um, uh, resources consumed for an ounce of protein from beef, for example, as opposed to an ounce of vegetable protein or dairy protein, um, it's incredible the amount of resources that are consumed to eat higher up on the food chain like that. It's just very wasteful. Um, it puts me in mind of a bumper sticker I saw the other day that said, live simply so that others may simply live. And we have to remember that we live in a resource-constrained universe, and the more resources we consume, the less resources are available for others. So uh, I think a lot of people look at eating meat, or in this case fish, from that perspective. And I think that's a very valid perspective, especially in this particular case where, again, I've got to be careful because I, I don't know much about, I don't know anything about this particular dish. Um, but just given the fact that it's so notorious, that uh, it's highly poisonous and, and is deadly if not prepared carefully, I suspect it falls in that category of ostentatious consumption, things like shark fin soup or bird's nest soup where it's uh, famous more for its, um, uh, its rarity or its difficulty in being obtained or prepared rather than its floor, its flavor. Because basically it's a way to demonstrate your wealth, your resources, your power if you can afford to have something like that. It's more a status symbol than, than a food. Um, and that is really flying in the face of, of living simply and consuming less. So, you know, from that perspective, it certainly would not be in line with, with Buddhist precepts to consume this dish. On the other hand, there are very strong injunctions to accept gifts, to accept contributions, um, to take what is given. And the, a very strong symbol of this is in the priest's ordination. 
when a, a practitioner is ordained as a Zen priest, they receive two things from the master. One most people know about is the robe, the okesa, the uh, symbol that everybody you can see in the pictures, you know, everybody's familiar with the robes. What many people don't see and are not familiar with is that the second symbol of a priest ordination is the bowl, the begging bowl. In the old days, um, the Zen monks and, and Buddhist monks of many, many different types would uh, practice takuhatsu, uh, begging for their daily food. They would go out in the morning with their begging bowl and go door to door and uh, ask for a, a contribution of food and they would go door to door until they had filled up their bowl and then they would take it back to the monastery and uh, everybody would do that and then share it out for their their daily meal um, and you didn't choose what you were given you didn't pick and choose you took what was offered and um, I imagine many people would offer what they knew was acceptable to the to the monks but also it was considered you have to take what people have to offer if you go to the butcher's door and if that's all they have to offer is, is, is meat you know to reject that would be rejecting not giving them the opportunity to be to be giving to to experience charity and that's a very strong principle in Buddhism as well that you need to give everyone the opportunity to practice the perfections and one of the perfections is generosity so um, and I'm sure many would argue with me that that's an extreme example but I've heard have heard many teachers give that kind of example of, as well that it's very important to give everyone an equal opportunity to practice generosity and part of that is for you not to be too strong in your preferences there are stories of uh, you know people who have been militant um, well I'm getting ahead of myself so let me uh, back up a bit and say so the symbol of the bowl and and participation in begging obviously in this culture we don't do that anymore because people just our community our culture doesn't understand that if you went knocking door to door with a begging bowl they would probably call the police and have you taken away and and our culture just doesn't understand that and the monks would starve <laughs> so that's that doesn't happen today pretty much um, not in our country but that principle still remains of you take what is given and one of the places that's very clearly explained is in uh, a writing by Master Dogen called the uh, Tenzo Kyokun if I'm pronouncing it correctly I don't I don't claim to have perfect Japanese pronunciation that translates to instructions to the cook Tenzo means cook it was the name for the or the title for the head cook in a, in a monastery in the ancient days and today that was a very very important role because they prepared the food which was the nourishment and sustenance for the monastic community um, and this was a very important document not just in the administrative details but also in terms of the practice and how we apply the Zen principles to 
handling food. And there's a couple of key passages there. Um, for example, it says, and this is a quote, when preparing the vegetables or ingredients for the soup which have been received, do not disparage the quantity or quality, but instead handle everything with great care. Do not despair or complain about the quantity or quality of the materials. If you only have wild grasses with which to make a broth, do not disdain them. If you have ingredients for a creamy soup, do not be delighted. Where there is no attachment, there can be no aversion. Do not be careless with poor ingredients, and do not depend on fine ingredients to do your work for you, but work with everything with the same sincerity." End of quote. So I think that makes it pretty clear that, you know, you shouldn't uh, reject wilted lettuce, and you shouldn't hope for the finest delicacies. You just take whatever comes, and what you do pay much attention to is your effort, what you do with them, how well you work with your ingredients. Um, that's from the, you know, the standpoint of the preparation for the cook, but also it applies in general. Now, after the meal is prepared, when it is served to the monks, uh, to the Zen practitioners, we chant the meal verse. And I'll read you the, these, the, the part of it consists of what are called the five contemplations. And here they are. We reflect on the efforts that brought us this food and consider how it comes to us. We reflect on our virtue and practice and whether we are worthy of this offering. We regard greed as the obstacle to freedom of mind. We regard this meal as medicine to sustain our life. For the sake of enlightenment, we now receive this food. So there are a couple of key points there. We reflect on the efforts that brought us this food. That comes to the point about how many resources are consumed. Um, we regard greed as an obstacle, meaning you know, uh, wanting the good ingredients and being averse to the bad ingredients. We regard this meal as medicine to sustain our life, not um, an opportunity for pleasure, um, something to be enjoyed or, or, or you know, uh, overindulged in, but as, as medicine to sustain our life. Something that's helpful and essential, but not necessarily pleasant or unpleasant either way. Um, and we repeat that at every meal to keep bringing those points to the forefront of our mind. So to restate your question, would Zen practitioners partake in this food as a delicacy? Um, that was the way you worded the question, as a delicacy. Well, to go back up to the very high level, you know, not to get bogged down in the, in the um, dogmatic discussions about strict application of vegetarianism or strict application of taking what is given. Um, I would, you know, bring up the point that Buddhism is the middle way. We don't practice asceticism. 
so we don't deny the body, don't punish the body. We don't refuse delicacies if, if they're offered. But on the other hand, the other extreme, we, we don't want to be hedonistic. Uh, we don't seek out delicacies to relish all the time. Buddhism is the middle way between those two. So basically, if offered, I think you know most would accept it, but would not seek it out. And given the nature of, of the fact that it would be uh, consuming the flesh of another living being, and it's, it's probably ostentatious consumption of resources, I think uh, Zen principles would say avoid it wherever possible. Um, only accept it if it would be, you know, otherwise run the risk of, of insulting a host or, or refusing them their opportunity to practice uh, generosity. So, I think the thing to remember is one of the closing lines of the meal verse, and I'll use that to close this talk. You know, one of the primary objectives is compassion. To remember the line from the meal verse that says, may all be equally nourished. So, I think that's a, a good line for ending this talk. May all be equally nourished. Thank you.